are now one week away from our big holiday show, mm. and uh, we encourage you to tune in. We're gonna we're gonna try to make it as fun and exciting as it's been in previous years. Lots of good stuff will be available. Giveaways, lots of giveaways next week for the big holiday show and uh, then we are uh, we're going to have at least a two week hiatus while we uh, go through the holidays and cram for our, yeah. our, our, our uh, awards voting um, how are you feeling about awards voting this year you feel like uh, we're not a looking... lot of obvious stuff out there there's no. some obvious performances out there yeah um, uh, I'm, I'm still loving um, uh, uh, Judy um, yeah uh, 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 Renee Zellweger it? Renee I'm loving yeah. that performance still uh, although I, that film is not on my list, yeah. yeah. Uh, so there's four or five performances out there. Marriage Story seems to be some, something everybody's talking about. Yeah, it's a film that I appreciated more than I liked. <laughs> I like, I loved your Film Week thing on it. <laughs> yeah, it because yeah. see, I have the same problem with him and his yeah. movies. I just feel like this is a guy who grew up in a certain milieu in New York where yeah. he should really be very appreciative. Like when Woody, I mean, he and Woody Allen have a similar background to some degree. But mm-hmm. his is much more privileged. Yeah. Woody Allen was more middle class. Yeah, it was that joke Woody makes about growing up under the, uh, yeah, under, 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 the, bridge. the under the bridge and Coney Island, but, you know. But when Woody looks at the whole Upper East Side, Upper West Side world, it's with a it's with a certain eye of I don't want to say cynicism, but he understands how silly it all is. Oh yeah, he how, looks, how he silly always that has world is a scant in crimes and misdemeanors. Yeah, he does. He, he makes that character in the, the documentary. Yeah, he's just. Definitively not a part of it. He yeah. married into it. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, because people keep saying that. Did, but, did, uh, but I'm I like, feel, no, no, Noah's not but, doing the same thing. But, Woody's but, but, doing. I, but I feel like Noah Baumbach is, takes it all way too seriously. Yeah. Like he really. And and these are people who I get it. They have problems. I'm not oh, going to sure. minimize. I'm not going to minimize the problems. But I just don't think he they they deserve to be magnified quite the way that he magnifies them. It, without with, with a sort of obliviousness to the fact that you do know you live in a five million dollar brownstone. I know. On the upper east, you know that, right? I get it. You're getting divorced. That's a bummer. Nobody wants to get. It's a bummer. Squid in the whale. Drove squid me crazy. in the whale. Dude, I mean, you're, 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 I mean, I mean, dude, me pull, pull yourself together for God's sake. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Kick it and screaming. You know that yeah. very first one. Yeah. It started there with me. Yeah. I mean, you all just graduated. The kids about movie yeah. about these kids are graduating from Bass or you know, like, yeah, with these degree, and you're whining. Shut up. I know. Crazy stuff. Well, we're gonna we're gonna dive right into it. We got uh, we have some library titles catalog catalog stuff from uh, last week left over. We got foreign. We got LGBT. We got cult. We got anime. We're gonna try to get through as much of it as we can. Anything that we don't, we're gonna push off till after our holiday show. So let's see what we can uh, what we can plow through. Anime bonanza this week. It is just, uh, it is bonkers. And uh, some of these things will definitely show up on the holiday show again, in all, all likelihood. But uh, for now, we've got, let me let me roll through some of this. So Funimation, we got the Funimation stuff first. Angels of Death, the complete series. Really a beautifully animated show. Uh, interesting kind of a mystery. It's a memory mystery about this woman who, Wakes up in a in a in a basement and has no idea who she is, where she came from, and um, the this is this is where it becomes an adventure as she tries to escape and suddenly falls into this this remarkable adventure. It's very very interesting, very well written, and uh, one of the one of the more sort of accessible anime things that I've seen in a while that doesn't require you to have a whole universal backstory on it. 
Uh, a Certain Magical Index, Season 3, Part 1, continues the, uh, the, the, this story. If you haven't caught on to it by now, you're, it's, it's probably likely way too late. Uh, the, uh, this is, you know, starts with the feud between Academy City and the Roman Orthodox Church. Uh, on and on and on, and it's, uh, you know, it, look, Certain Magical Index, it's, 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 it's too deep. But if you're already deep into it, Season 3, bar, the, this is the beginning of Season 3. First two seasons are really kind of a warm-up. This actually gets very, very interesting. Also, Dragon Ball Super Part 8. Uh, I, I, I'm, if you haven't caught up to this, the, uh, Part 8 is, is not going to help you. Uh, if you're already all the way through the first seven, um, you, you'll, you'll probably get into this. This is, you know, getting ready for the Tournament of Power. And uh, it is what it is. It's Dragon Ball. It's not really my thing. Um, Double Decker. Doug and Carol, the complete series, plus the OVA stuff. Uh, this is actually um, very, very interesting and telling. The The character of Carol is um, uh, kind of a, an, an anti-drug crusader in, uh, of sorts. There's this drug called Anthem, and uh, this team called 7-0 has to stop people from using it. Uh, and, uh, it's kind of, a you know, it's, it's, it's a bit of an unusual story in that it's, um, it seems to be speaking to something in Japanese society at the same time that it's telling kind of an unusual, uh, spy slash superhero story. It's, it's unusual, uh, it's not terribly accessible, but I found it sociologically a little bit, uh, interesting. Black Clover, season two, part one. Continues the uh, Black Clover uh, Odyssey, whatever whatever you want to call it. Um, of all these sort of uh, Harry Pottery spinoffs, uh, Harry Pottery derivations, I I find this to be uh, one of the more interesting ones, and uh, it's worth checking out. If you like season one, you'll definitely probably enjoy uh, season two. Uh, Goblin Slayer is great. Goblin Slayer was surprisingly good to me. I uh, I love the uh, I love the world that it creates the the adventurers guild and uh, the way that there are all these hierarchies of uh, of uh, of creatures and that goblins are uh, really really kind of low on it I think that's all really really interesting and uh, it, it's very creative it goes in directions that you don't exactly expect so season one of Goblin Slayer really cool animation very interesting narrative worth checking out I found that to be very very interesting. Um, also in its part two is Tokyo Ghoul. Uh, not as interesting as part one. I didn't pay a ton of attention to part one, but I, this does come with a great deal of stuff. There's an 80 page art book, uh, here, which is actually probably more interesting than the season itself. Uh, and, uh, you know, I mean, it's, uh, it's the usual thing. They, they're always looking for weird ways of creating new superhero teams in anime and uh, this one is about, uh, you know, humans who have these kinds of supernatural powers, ghoul powers, and they call themselves the, the Kink Squad, uh, Q-U-I-N-X. Uh, you know, it's a little, it's basically kind of Ghostbusters meets the Avengers. It's okay. Um, Magical Girl Raising Project, the complete series. What a weird title that is. Magical Girl Raising Project. Uh, it is for those who are looking for kind of superhero magical power things that have uh, that are very girl centered. This is one of the few. Uh, lots of girl centered stuff in anime, but uh, very few where they are kind of you know in in the same heroic position. 
And uh, this one, this one's good. There are 15 girls in total here, and they all have to sort of compete with each other to keep their powers. And uh, it's, uh, you know, it kind of has a, a touch of that Harry Potter thing, but uh, otherwise I really, really enjoyed it. I, I thought it was uh, very solid. Um, a few others here. Ace Attorney Season 2 Part 1. This is, you know, courtroom drama on, in anime is a little bit odd, but um, there it is. And uh, this is Season 2. It's kind of the same as Season 1. We'll see where it goes, but it's pretty much the same. Uh, How Not to Summon a Demon Lord, the complete series. That's a funny title. How Not to Summon a Demon Lord. Uh, this is um, kind of... Um, I don't know. It's it's sort of like inverted. It it inverts a lot of these uh, anime motifs. Um, it it has a, a video game background to it. I didn't find it very interesting or accessible. Don't really know what it's referencing, and maybe that's the problem. Uh, we also have that time I got reincarnated as a slime, season one, part one. Let me read that again, Tim. Mm. That time I got reincarnated as a slime. <laughs> Not reincarnated as slime, but reincarnated as As a slime. Yeah. Yeah, that's the thing. Uh, So this is about this guy who um, is reincarnated as a slime. And what is a slime? Well, it's it's, it's a very uninteresting thing. It's a kind of a monster. But um, as a result, he is able to, I mean, really, it's like, it, it's it's not even very interesting to animate. It's just kind of this amorphous blob of a thing. Anyway, um, it's supposed to be a comedy, I think, from the title and from the way that this is, uh, this has sort of a theme about outcasts and, you know, how you can, if you if you become an outcast, if you're reincarnated as a slime, that you you may still have some kind of a Joseph Campbelly mission or something. Um, I don't know if it's that interesting. It's okay. A uh, really cool steel book for Yu Yu Hakusho season one. Uh, this is a uh, it's a it's a it's a an afterlife uh, odyssey about uh, you know a detective who works in the afterlife, um, you know, trying to track down um, problematic characters, humans, uh, monsters, and whatnot. Uh, interesting idea. Uh, I'm not sure it's fully fleshed out, but it's a really cool steel book, and uh, might be might make, make for a really really great gift. Uh, the last one from Funimation is Senran Kagura Shinobi Master, and uh, this is all about you know Ninja Academy and uh, you know the uh, women learning how to be master ninjas, and it's it's fun and it's cute. Uh, it's a little bit shallow, but otherwise decently animated. Groovy, groovy, groovy. And uh, last few anime, not from Funimation, from Made in Japan, we have uh, Yumero Patissiere, the complete collection. Yumero Patissiere. There's a there's a fr- weird French obsession here. These are two separate series. This is the complete collection, two different series, 63 episodes. Uh, there's a really weird obsession here with French uh, pastries. This is uh, effectively about a, uh, uh, a little girl who um, becomes a famous pastry chef and that's kind of it she's a great pastry chef anime has some peculiar obsessions but there it is uh and then uh, from uh let me move to this one here let's get to the sente stuff we've got three from sente 
which is distributed by Section 23, Mr. Tanigawa, The Complete Collection, Middle Management Blues. This, this is really eccentric, and it's probably funnier if you're Japanese. Very broad animation, um, it, it kind of extreme artwork. And uh, it's, it's kind of a weird uh, dissection of Japanese corporate culture. It seems to be um, a little bit cathartic in the way that they, um, they, they look at the ruthlessness of business culture. I, I, I would love to hear from somebody. Email us at gods at digigods.com if you're a fan of Mr. Tanigawa, if you have an idea of how this kind of dovetails with uh, Japanese culture. Uh, is it wrong to uh, try and pick up girls in a dungeon, Arrow of the Orion? This is the ongoing saga of the uh, girls in the dungeon stuff. The animation keeps getting better. The backdrops are great. The colors are amazing. The characters are really interesting. Uh, despite the unusual title and the really kind of S&M-y suggestion there, this thing really, really does keep getting much more interesting. It's one of, uh, I, I wish almost that they'd change the title and make it a little bit more accessible because it's uh, it's a wonderful sort of female-oriented um, mystical saga. It really is kind of like a, like a Lord of the Rings for girls. It's very interesting. Um, writing is improving as well. And uh, last one from Sente, and then just a couple others after that, is Kase-san and Morning Glories. This is really, really beautiful. Very, very artistic. Um, they went out of their way to sort of give this uh, a little bit extra kind of a, a pastel sheen or something. But it's, uh, it's fundamentally a story of friendship. And uh, it's, it's just, it's a, it, that's it. It's just a sweet story of, uh, of friendship. And um, it gets a little into that Japanese fetishism about schoolgirls a little bit. But otherwise, it's, uh, it's just beautifully animated and nicely written. The schoolgirly thing gets, uh, is part of the um, boogie pop phantom as well. Gosh, these titles are just so unusual. This is from Nozomi. And you can go to Nozomi ENT for NozomiEntertainment.com to find more on this. Uh, you can preview the first episode if you want to see it before you actually buy this one. Um, this is kind of a noir detective story, and uh, it's about, you know, Boogie Pop. Um, I don't want to tell you what Boogie Pop is all about. It's, that, that would kind of spoil it. But uh, it's, it's a girl detective thing. And it's very noirish, and it's very, uh, it is definitely very um, gothic inspired. And then um, we continue to get really, really great anime releases from G Kids Genius Party, uh, Genius Party Beyond. Really, really interesting, worth checking out. This is an anthology, uh, they call it 12 Impacts by 12 Directors. Um, this comes from the uh, Studio Four Degrees Centigrade operation. And they put both the both of these films on here. They are both uh, anthologies of uh, of just great Japanese animation, Genius Party and Genius Party Beyond, which uh, comes after it. And um, uh, these are all name directors. Very very interesting, fascinating work that they do. Wonderful in an anthology. The only thing I can ever think that I can think of that has even come close to sort of suggesting this kind of thing was the largely Korean animated um, Japanese anime spin-off thing of The Matrix, uh, The mm. Animatrix, if oh, you remember yeah. that anthology. Animatrix, yeah. That was really interesting. So this is sort of a similar uh, thing. Anime anthologies are always really interesting. The animators just kind of go crazy. And this is both uh, Genius Party and Genius Party Beyond on one disc. Groovy, groovy, groovy. for anime. Should I do some LBGT? 
Yeah, let's do it. Let's knock out a little of that. Uh, first one from Strand releasing Carol D. Tomasio's film Mom Plus Mom. It's just a perfectly lovely little movie. Almost like a fairy tale of uh, this movie. It's about these two uh, women uh, of a certain age who get together, and they decide pretty much right away that they want to have a baby uh, together. Uh, but that's going to be a little bit more difficult than they thought, and it's all about the trials and tribulations that they go through uh, in attempting to have a baby uh, while uh, still maintaining some sort of a life together. It's really a sweet film. And uh, it's it's a sort of film that sort of believes in miracles as they sort of happen in the context of this of this movie. From Strand releasing bonus materials uh, include the theatrical trailer and some other trailers from Strand. Then we pop over to uh, is it is it Deku? Uh, yeah, Deku is the company. Do yeah. a couple of Dekus here. Um, the first one, Mr. Leather. Uh, this is an absolutely fascinating documentary uh, set in Brazil, uh, and it's about this leather competition, sort of dominatrix leather competition uh, that, that they have down there every year. The, the guy, they, they have these competitions. They all model and, 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 and do all this kind of stuff, and the winner gets to travel around uh, 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 Brazil promoting the leather culture. Yeah, yeah. Uh, for a whole entire year. They all expenses paid, uh, which is a pretty dom- difficult thing to do in Brazil where none of this stuff is particularly okay. Uh, so what this movie is really really about are these people declaring to the world who they are and how they live and how they want to live and refusing to knuckle under uh, to the ideas that there are you know, the things that some cultures just simply want to yeah. allow. Neat little movie, 90, 90, 85 minutes long, Portuguese with English subtitles. Uh, the third is what this film is called here in my hands. If if you look it up, though, it's going to be called Triads, which is what it was named before. I don't really know why. Anyway, it's about this couple who's been married four or five years. Marriage is getting a little bit stale. They decide they're going to try what they call a triad relationship, bring a third person. Look, Bill and Ted and Carol and Alice. Alice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, the movie's got to be, what, 40 years? Bob, Bob and Ted and Carol. Bob, Bob and Ted and Carol. Yeah. Yeah, the movie's got to be 40, 45 years old now. Yeah. They should have just watched that movie. <laughs> and it'll tell you how this is going to work out, which is badly, and that's the way it does, in fact, work out. 40, 45 days away from you, a perfectly... Lovely uh, film uh, from Raphael Gnomes. From Raphael Gnomes, it's 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 as much of a travel log as anything else. A young man gets has a broken heart, takes out uh, on a long trip across the world, goes to all kinds of really neat places: uh, England, Portugal, Argentina, uh, and and meets all kinds of people in order to mend his broken heart. It's like I say, it's really just it's just a lovely travel log of a guy who's traveling around, uh, meeting a bunch of cute dudes and having some fun. Gotta love that. Uh, Men of Hard Skin. I think we're into the TLA releasing yep. titles right now. Um, again, again, this is a, another uh, lovely movie, but a dramatic film. A young man lives with, with his sister and his father. Uh, and uh, in bonus ways, uh, and he's having uh, this affair with a priest. And it takes him a little while to come to understand that this affair with this priest is actually incorrect, at least on the part of the priest. For one thing, the priest is a priest. For the other thing, uh, this young man is underage. So this movie is all about how these things come to be reconciled in the, in the mind of this young man living in the sort of um, uh, bucolic area of, of Argentina and, uh, and then what he does when he decides to go off to the big city. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a powerful movie, uh, uh, poignant and sweet, but also... A little bit tougher than some of the some of the other ones. Um, the blonde also. And this is yeah. This is also TLA. 
the blonde one, uh, I should say, uh, is also set in the suburbs of uh, Argentina. Young man just moved in with his with his, with his colleague. Actually, just a, a guy that he's working with. This guy that he's working with is a real player. Got men coming and going from the apartment, from his room in the apartment. Anyway, sort of left and white uh, as this young man, the blonde one, uh, just sort of watches what's going on. Eventually, they start up a relationship together, and the sort of um, uh, you know hypersexual stuff that you sort of expect sort of drifts away as they as they sort of uh, wander into the so like husband wife, boyfriend girlfriend, boyfriend boyfriend sort of relationship that just involves the two of them and not anybody else. It's sort of like the reverse of that movie Triad. Ooh. It's about how you go from people who yeah. are sleeping all around to people who are just involved in each other's lives, and it's really, really a tender and sweet movie that I like quite a lot. Um, all male, all new Johnsons. <laughs> I love this movie, which is a documentary. A it's a hell of a title. Uh, it, uh, yeah, look, um, which is a documentary follow-up to another documentary called All Male, All Nude. This one, it says that it's uh, set in the second gayest city in America. How the hell they know that? <laughs> I, I have no idea, but nevertheless, this movie's a lot of fun. It's this guy, you don't see strip clubs in various different places uh, in America. This one's from Breaking Glass uh, Pictures, by the way. Uh, and this one is set in this little town in Florida. And what we're doing is following uh, these uh, male strippers, some of them a little bit older. Uh, the, the, the guy that owns the club is about 40 or, or so. He has a boyfriend who's about 20 or so. Uh, four or five other uh, male nude dancers at this club, strippers anyway. And we follow them, and we hear their stories and their backstories and their lives, and it's really, really, really interesting. Generally speaking, they're doing that cliched thing uh, that we always talk about with strippers. They're stripping to make money to pay for college. They actually that happens a lot. Yeah, like they go to they go to school and, just gonna, yeah. and they hang around night and do a little bit of stripping. And you know what? It makes a hell of a lot of sense to me. If I had abs like this, <laughs> I promise you, you could throw money at me all night if it paid for my master's degree. Mm. Uh, anyway, it's a really fun film. Uh, it, it's uh, you know not particularly a little bit of nudity, a lot of you know all that kind of stuff, but it's neat, neat little documentary. All male, all nude. Johnsons. Uh, I want to make a mention real quickly of um, this movie called Hamlet in the Golden Veil. This is a this is a really unusual new movie, and uh, it's one of those things where it's a little hard to sort of keep track of what's real and what's not. The uh, basically uh, it's a story. It's a it's a it's a staging of Hamlet, but by a group of actors that go to this uh, this remote Irish um, castle, and um, you get Hamlet, but you also get the backstories of all the actors. And the way that this was shot was very, very interesting. They, uh, they, they used a, a Canon camera. Yeah. They uh, did a whole kind of a remote thing, so the cameras, so that the cameras weren't really necessarily the ca- the crew wasn't intruding on the uh, on the actors, and the the crew could watch what the camera was shooting remotely. Um, and uh, they they. It, it, it's it's a, it's a very very it's a it's it is really very interesting and very very hard to explain, um, but it uh, it explains it as well as it likely can uh, with the materials included with the disc. But if you're a fan of Hamlet, here's the bottom line: if you're a fan of Hamlet, this is worth checking out. There are only uh, there are a lot of different versions of Hamlet we've had over the years. There's obviously the uh, the contemporized version with Ethan Hawke. There's the Kenneth Branagh version. There's the Franco Zeffirelli version with mm. Mel Gibson. Yeah. The original Lawrence Olivier film, which won Best Picture. Back in the 1940s, 48, I think it was, and uh, 
this kind of goes along uh, to some degree with the Kenneth Branagh comedy uh, Midwinter's Tale, which is about a, a staging of Hamlet ah. by these completely incompetent actors who just make a mash of the whole thing. Um, this is sort of like a serious version of that, and uh, it, it's a nice addition to the corpus of Hamlet uh, uh, on film because they all have something to say about this incredibly rich and, and textured piece of material that just never, never gets old. Shakespeare's masterpiece. Uh, it's called Hamlet in the Golden Veil. Um, and then want to make, uh, just cover a few bases with some of the stuff we did not get to last week. I uh, got a few left from the Kino Studio Classics line that are worth talking about. All of them classic movies, primarily from the 40s and uh, the 1950s. I think it's, yeah, we're not outside the 50s here. So um, from 1947 is It Always Rains on Sunday. Um, this is this is uh, directed by Robert Hamer. This was an Ealing Studios uh, film, uh, which primarily Ealing Studios was known mostly for stuff like Kind Hearts and Coronets, and and um, and Robert Hamer for you know directing movies like that, comedies, and um, this is actually uh, a completely different kind of a film, but it's still an Ealing film, and it's still really good work from Robert Hamer. And uh, it's uh, it's very serious, and it's it's quite lovely. It's a beloved film in the UK, not really that beloved outside, but one of the more interesting films of the of the period. Uh, 1947, of course, is right at the tail, uh, right in the you know a couple of years after the end of World War II, and uh, this looks at that exact period in London's East End. It stars Googie Withers, one of the best names of any actress ever, Googie Withers. Googie. This is the last film that she did for uh, for Ealing. And uh, it's 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 about um, you know what what now that the war is over, mm. what is this housewife going to do with the rest of her life? Because literally the war has changed the world. Yeah, and that's the thing we often forget is that yeah. life before World War II it was not just afterwards. Hey, let's get back to the way things were. Life's changed. Oh yeah, oh yeah. And worth noting too that this was photographed by the amazing cinematographer Doug Slocum, who of course gave us Raiders of the Lost Ark. Um. From 1949, we have The Queen of Spades, directed by Thorold Dickinson, and starring Anton Walbrook and Edith Evans. When I received this, I looked at this and I thought, I don't know who Thorold Dickinson was, and I've never heard of Anton Walbrook and Edith Evans. Who are these people, and what is this film? And then there's a little pull quote at the top that says, a uniquely haunting film, Martin Scorsese. Yeah. And I was like, oh, now I get it. Uh, this is one of those uh, British films that otherwise would have completely disappeared from the earth if Martin Scorsese hadn't have uh, told us that we need to pay attention to it, and so I do. Uh, actually, it's it, it, there's a lot of lot of credentials in this, and I realized, oh, I do know who Anton Walbrook and Edith Evans are. I've seen them in a lot of films, just didn't know their names. And uh, this is a this takes place in um, 19th century Russia. And it's, uh, it is a, it is a kind of a, a sweeping period melodrama with uh, Dame Edith Evans as, a, um, as this aging countess and uh, Walbrook as this uh, Russian military man. And uh, it, it goes into so many different directions you don't expect it to. It's really, it's very, very interesting. And it's beautifully made. Otto Heller does amazing cinematography in this. It really, really is wonderful. The source material is from Alexander Pushkin, the uh, great uh, Russian poet. 
Uh, and uh, it's a, it's a, it's quite a little, uh, it's quite an interesting discovery. A lot of interesting people involved in this too. Uh, Jack Clayton, who would eventually do Room at the Top, and mm. uh, and uh, uh, the film adaptation of Ray Bradbury's um, uh, Slaughterhouse. Uh, no, no, it was no, oh, not oh, that's, with, uh, that's with Jonathan with Jonathan Price. Uh, oh yeah, the, uh, oh. this way, uh, uh, something wicked. Something this way wicked comes. this way comes. Yeah, yeah. Jack Clayton did that too. Um, and uh, George uh, George Auric does a great score for this, so it's lovely. It has uh, a Nick Pinkerton audio commentary introduction by Martin Scorsese, who will scold you about why you need to see this as opposed to Marvel movies, uh, and a whole bunch of other really interesting things, including a 1951 introduction uh, or in, or interview with Thorold Dickinson at the British Federation of Film Societies, and an introduction that he does in uh, 1968 at a screening. So, uh, really, really quite an interesting film. The Queen of Spades. Um, really great British discovery. From 1950, we have Seven Days to Noon, which is another great classic British film from the period um, that stars Barry Jones as this uh, eccentric presser, uh, ex- sorry, eccentric professor who uh, runs away uh, from where he's working with an atomic bomb under his arm. And um, it, this is a... Uh, what He does it specifically as a way of uh, kind of blackmailing the country into accepting peace and uh, to no longer make any more uh, nuclear weapons, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and so forth. Really uh, a very a fascinating uh, kind of early um, anti-war film from the... the earliest part of the atomic era just five years after the end of world war ii really really quite interesting done as a comedy kind of a a, a little bit of a wacky comedy um it's it's smart film it's a really really smart film and uh, an overlooked british classic from the period um from 1954 we have the um uh, jerry hopper directed and ross hunter produced Naked Alibi, which is a really great star vehicle. It's got a got Sterling Hayden and Gloria Graham. Uh, my mother was nearly Sterling Hayden's nanny until my father talked her out of it uh, <laughs> for all kinds of reasons. That's a whole separate story. Gloria Graham, just one of the great stars of the period. I love watching Gloria Graham. She would be an amazing star today if she were alive. She really would. Just fantastic. Uh, and you know, look, it's uh, it, it's it's kind of a crime film. It's sort of a pseudo noir in some respects. Anything that Sterling Hayden is in almost always turns into a noir, just because he is who he is. Gloria Graham, you know, is is always going to be a femme fatale. Um, but it's uh, it, it it it's still it's really you're just watching this to watch them them work with each other, and forget about all the the guns and the you know the the crime machinations and everything else. It's just a lot of fun. And a lot of talking about great actresses, Ida Lupino, also a great filmmaker, uh, stars with Howard Duff and Stephen McNally in Woman in Hiding. Uh, this is from 1950 as well. This is about a woman uh, who discovers on her honeymoon that her husband might have been a murderer. Uh-oh. Mm. Uh, and then it just gets even more complicated after that. This is a great, great noir and uh, Ida Lupino and Howard Duff were not yet married in this. They met in this, and then they got married, and then they made a bunch more movies together. Um, but uh, it's, 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 uh, it's a pretty great noir. It really is. It's worth checking out from 1950, Woman in Hiding. And then The Man Between, 
uh, is one of the most underrated noirs by Carol Reed. Carol Reed, who of course did The Third Man and would go on to step outside of his, uh, his usual genre to do Oliver, for which he won an Academy Award. Uh, Carol Reed produced and directed this in 1953. It stars a terrific James Mason, along with Claire Bloom and uh, Jeffrey Toon and some other wonderful supporting actors. Um, the um, it's again nothing is really as good as is as good as the Third Man, but uh, James Mason is really really great. This is a Cold War thriller with James Mason um, stuck in in the post post wall Berlin. We just mm. had the anniversary of the Berlin Wall coming yeah. down. Uh, this is now Berlin divided, beginning of the Cold War. And uh, it's, it's all about what is happening in that city as a result of this division. It's very, very sharp. It takes that condition, it takes the situation, the city, and it uses, it as a, uh, uses the Cold War crisis as a great noir backdrop. And James Mason is absolutely superb. Hildegard Neff, also in this, great German actress. And uh, that's it. That's few, it for the. That's it for the keynote stuff. Let's do these? Some, yeah, let's do some foreign. Uh, knock off a couple of Cohen uh, at the top here, including this uh, lovely uh, Guillaume Canet film with Millie Laurent, My Son. Uh, it's a movie about this guy. Sweet, that was just a Colcoa. Yeah, yeah. It's a very powerful movie, a haunting movie. A couple. Uh, he's traveling all the time. They have this uh, son. She. He gets a phone call from the wife. Their seven-year-old son has gone missing. So uh, and uh, and uh, and it's all about how uh, what extents that he will go to to try and find out what happened to his son, and right. it's all about his regret of his neglect of both his son and his wife uh, over that period of time, um, and how he doesn't really know either one of them. Uh, it's, uh, uh, special features including uh, the making of a sort of behind the scenes uh, with the director Christian uh, Claron. I think is that how you say his name? C L A R I O N C A R. Yeah, Carrion. Uh, and uh, and Guillaume Canet. Uh, very, very good French thriller that is much older, but still an absolutely extraordinarily wonderful film, the 1982 film, The Return of Martin Greer. Uh, this is just such a wonderful movie. Uh, so much better than the Richard Gere thing. Oh, thing my goodness. Jodie Foster. Yeah, you know, what are you going to do? Yeah, this, um, is, this is it. This is the original. Natalie by Gerard Depardieu. What's one, one, yeah, 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 we, when we meet them, they're this young couple who are just getting married. Uh, uh, they have some issues. He goes away, ostensibly off mm -hmm. to the war, but he really just sort of disappears. Some 10, 15 years later, I don't know how much time elapsed, this man returns who claims to be Martin. Yeah, uh, and uh, and and to want and wants to take up with his 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 wife Natalie again, but then again there are issues, and then it turns into sort of a courtroom drama, mm -hmm. and we have to figure out whether or not this is in fact Martin or not. He's so wonderful in this movie. Um, uh, Gerard can and Natalie by two, but he's yeah. he he has scenes in this movie with his face where there's nothing but his face mm -hmm. that he uses to convey. Everything that needs to be, to, to be conveyed. It's just beautiful. This is an all-new 4K restoration. It's really, really beautiful from uh, the folks over at Cohen Media uh, with all kinds of wonderful uh, features, including a discussion with uh, Natalie uh, on this film, which by itself is makes the whole damn thing worth it as far as I'm concerned. Uh, another wonderful, more contemporary French film, At War, from uh, uh, Stephanie Brise. Stéphane Brise. Stéphane yeah. Brise. Stéphane Brise, who's a nice guy, really nice guy. And in this film, uh, which is in some ways a sequel to his film, A Measure of the Man. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Which was about this. this which this, won the which won the Cannes Best Actor for uh, uh, Vincent, uh, Vincent about Lindon. About 2015, a couple yeah. of years ago. Yeah. And this is in some ways is a sequel to that, not an actual sequel to that, but it's, they're both about these blue-collar workers and what's happening in the sort of blue 
collar factory yeah. environment of, uh, of of France, which is you know if you followed that yellow vest movement um, uh, a good chunk of last year. Uh, speaking to some of these things, this particular one, uh, a company, a German company, has made all sorts of promises to these factory workers. Eleven hundred factory workers promising, promised them uh, their jobs and how their jobs would not be done away with after this German company took over the firm. The German company takes over the firm. And what do they want to do? They want to do away with all these people. Mm -hmm. uh, the union gathers together in, in, uh, in order to sort of force a change. But there's this infighting within the union as well. Uh, this is a very, very, very powerful movie. Uh, it, this is, reminds me of Martin Ritt, uh, yeah. sort of Norma Ray yeah. in a contemporary sort of sense. And Stefan is Hud. sort of HUD, yeah, yeah, sort of wanders around this territory quite a lot. And Vincent uh, is just wonderful as a sort of everyman. He has that everyman face. Vincent is so not an everyman. <laughs> no, <laughs> you know, hasn't been an everyman true. his entire life. No. But that face says that so. Is. Yeah. And, uh, and that's but what Spencer you But Spencer Tracy, know. too. You know, yeah. Spencer Tracy had that everyman face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Wonderful stuff. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you got a few? Yeah, let's do a few other uh, catalog library titles. So this is, a, this is a really interesting little indie from 2009 that has sort of uh, held on. This thing was very sparsely distributed. This is the 10th anniversary edition. It is a Blu-ray from IndiePix. Now, IndiePix does not release Blu-rays. IndiePix releases DVD-Rs to DVD, and they have a channel on uh, Amazon Prime. So, you know, this is, a, this is a thing. This has become kind of a cult film in a really weird way. Uh, from 2009, Yesterday Was a Lie. Really super low-budget, but very moody actor's piece. Uh, that crosses all kinds of genres. It's a, it's a little bit pretentious. Um, it's you know it's basically a noir. It's got you know these femme fatales in it. Um, it's it's got a lounge singer uh, and it's it, it gets into it it goes into a very un, it's like a noir that veers into science fiction at a certain point when all the twists start coming. But it's still it's still really really ambitious and it's uh, it's eccentric and it's really interesting. And it's a it's a, it's in, it's very very telling that indie picks would say you know what this has done so well for us and it still kind of hangs around it's such an odd film but such a compelling film it's worth putting out on Blu-ray so they did a Blu-ray and there it is yesterday was a lie it's worth checking out what is not worth checking out is the thing no not the John Carpenter film the uh, 2010 yeah. film that yeah. is effectively it's, I can't believe it's been nine years since this thing already really yeah yeah. Man. I remember hating on that just yesterday. Uh, yeah, it 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 is this is not good. Um, effectively, this is a prequel to yeah. the John Carpenter film, but it's kind of like a sequel. It 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 knows that you know the John Carpenter film came out, so it's trafficking in that by repeating a lot of it. But it it's narratively actually right before it, and it, and it literally connects. They they have a little thing at the end. This didn't give anything away, but a little thing at the end where if you know the Carpenter film, you go, oh, isn't that cute? Yeah. We're like we literally go right to the moment yeah. that starts the John Carpenter film. Eh, whatever. Uh, this is not very good. Mary Elizabeth Winstead is a wonderful actress. She deserves a better movie. Joel Edgerton, fine actor, deserves a better movie. Uh, everybody in this. They've all had better movies since they, 2009. Actually, they so, have. Yeah. They have. They've all had better stuff. I mean, look, if you if you really really want to nerd out, I guess the fact that it connects to the John Carpenter film is probably worth something. But otherwise, it's not really worth checking out. And it's on Blu-ray. 
we also have finally on Blu-ray The Hours and Times by Christopher Munch uh, from Oscilloscope. This is on blue. And uh, this is a very short feature. It's 58 minutes long. It's basically a low-budget, black-and-white, glorified, overlong student film. Uh, the first film ever made by Christopher Munch. Um, which is which speculates that in April of 1963, when John Lennon and Brian Epstein, the Beatles' manager, went to Barcelona for uh, a weekend, that there was that things happened and that there was some kind of a, a homosexual liaison between them mm. that uh, has gone unspoken and unacknowledged, except in rumor and whatnot. I mean, it's it's an interesting what if. Uh, it was you know developed with. Uh, with, with very, very little money at the time. There's a lot of interesting stuff on here that makes it worth the fact that it's only an hour long. There's an interview with Christopher Munch. There's a commentary with David Angus and Ian Hart from 2007. Um, there's a Q&A that was at the Billy Wilder Theater at UCLA in 2012. A short film by Christopher Munch, Conversation with, uh, uh, Conversation with a Cigarette, which was a short film uh, from 2014 with Ian Hart. Here's the only thing that's interesting. Ian Hart who plays John Lennon in this, mm. based on playing John Lennon in this, was then cast as John Lennon in the film Backbeat. Mm -hmm. That is the thing that's interesting, is that he played it so well in a short film yeah. that they said, how about doing it again in a feature? Yeah. And he said, okay. Yeah. And I remember interviewing him at the time, and uh, he was just very—he was grateful for it. He just said, "I couldn't believe it." He goes, "Because look, look at me—I don't look anything like John Lennon. <laughs> I look nothing like John Lennon. I played, I played him twice." Uh... So that tells you something. So it's an interesting curiosity. And then uh, a couple from Twilight Time. We love the people at Twilight Time. So sad they lost one of their principals recently. Yeah. Uh, and Nick Redman left us. But uh, the Tall Men and Whirlpool. Uh, the Tall Men finds a an aging, uh, an aging Clark Gable uh, pairing up with a dapper Robert Ryan and a gorgeous Jane Russell in one of his one of his last kind of real meaty pieces. This is from 1955. He's definitely on the downward slide, but um, you know what? It's a it's a solid western. It's beautifully made. Raoul Walsh directed it. Does a really really good job, and um, it's essentially about uh, these uh, these ex Confederates who hook up with uh, this kind of skeezy opportunist played by Ryan to do a cattle drive, and uh, they're supposed to go from Texas to Montana. And as happens in all these movies with cattle drives, we've talked about a lot of them. Uh, Jane Russell shows up, and it kind of it everything goes off the off the track. Um, mainly the reason for getting this is that uh, Victor Young has an amazing score that you can listen to on an isolated score track, and it's absolutely wonderful. Uh, and then Whirlpool, uh, which also has an isolated score track, um, although you know not as not as dazzling as the Victor Young one, but Whirlpool is a really interesting movie written in, uh, or sorry produced and directed by uh, Otto Preminger who was doing a lot of his best work right around this period, 1949. Uh, Preminger is, uh, is pushing all the, the, the buttons that we're accustomed to him pushing, and he's doing it with an amazing cast that includes the just stunning Gene Tierney, uh, Richard Conti, Jose Ferrer, never looking more dapper, uh, Charles Bickford. This is a really, really good cast, a really, really interesting film that uh, is, is kind of... It's, it's a noir, but it's an elegant noir. It's not down and dirty. It's not uh, something that takes place in back alleys with, you know, uh, with grime and, and dinge. Um, this, is a, uh, this is kind of a high society noir. 
and uh, Gene Tierney is a socialite who is caught shoplifting, and Jose Ferrer is the uh, astrologer who um, has this scheme to use her as his uh, to to she's she, he's kind of going to do she's going to be the subject of his frame up for the evil things that he has in mind. It's a really really cool story. It's very well done. Uh, ben Hecht wrote it, and you, as you would expect, it's just beautifully, beautifully written. And um, the score, the isolated score, is by David Raskin, of course, famous for his music for Lara. Not the same iconic score here, but a, a very nice uh, isolated track as well. A couple of these? Yeah, let's do them. All right, take a little international journey here. Start with uh, The Wild Pear Tree, uh, which is a, 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 a Turkish film. Uh, a lovely film, a little bit on the devastating side, uh, if you don't mind that kind of thing. So basically what we have here is this young writer who returns to his hometown after graduating from college, a small hometown, where he's going to try to find a sponsor to help him uh, p to pay for the publishing of his first book uh, that, he's, that he's writing at that time, while at the same time dealing with his father, who is a gambling addict, among other things. It's a, it's a truly beautiful film, a devastating film. What it's about is how this young man uses these experiences and reflections on his childhood, who his father is now and who his father used to be, to inform uh, the book that he is ultimately going to write as he tries to rise, raise money to actually write that book. Uh, so it's a really, really beautiful film. Uh, two disc set, uh, special features on both di discs, including uh, on disc one, a Q&A with the director, and on disc two, a making of the wild pair. Um, uh, some fairly long um, uh, <laughs> documentaries about the 126 minutes. It's a long, a lot. Of the material, the special feature material, is much longer than the actual film. Uh, put it that way. But it's a lovely ruminative uh, film that one should definitely check out if one can. Um, uh, this. Then I have this Indian film. How do you say that, Wade? Um, Mesampur, I guess. Mesampur, yeah. Mesampur. Oh, good enough. Like I speak Hindi. <laughs> well, you know, I knew, I knew you'd get a little bit closer than I would. Anyway, this is a really interesting but slightly wacky film about this filmmaker, this, this, uh, this musician, uh, and this actress who take this road trip to a particular place. So many years ago in 1988, uh, a, a fairly famous sort of folk group uh, was murdered. Huh. Uh, for all kinds of political controversy in this particular okay. place in is India. Is this an actual thing? The, that part of it is an actual wow. thing. This is a, the, the, the film is a film, but that okay. that thing that that little bit is true. Uh, in, in the context of this film, this filmmaker director uh, finds this old drummer who had been a drummer in the band uh, of, the, of, of those two people and an actress, and he wants to make a movie about what happened. And he talks the actress and the old drummer into riding with him to the location of where this horrible tragic murder actually happened, and so we're on this road trip. Uh, there's all kinds of sexual innuendo things that go on uh, and, and whatnot, uh, all kinds of politics come into it, uh, but this guy is sort of making this movie about these events as they go along. Um, uh, it's really an interesting film, uh, and it won the Grand Jury Prize at the Mumbai Film Festival wow. um, for a couple of different, in a, in a couple of different categories. Nevertheless, uh, it's a powerful movie, very interesting about this uh, historical event sort of uh, taken and, and uh, turned into this sort of narrative story. That's from India. Uh, Octava is a Romanian film. Uh, I have a push-pull relationship I with Romanian too. films. I do you too. never know what you're going to So get. true. <laughs> this one is a bit of magical realism um, that, works for, that worked for me anyway. 
in this film. An elderly man uh, who's been gone for decades and decades returns to his 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 family um, uh, and to, to sort of re-engage as he moves toward the end of his life. He starts seeing a ghost, the ghost of a childhood sweetheart. Uh, and seeing this ghost starts to make things that happened in his childhood change. The events of his childhood start to change, which of course means that the events of his present are changing as well. Uh, and it causes him to be reflective about things that he did or didn't do in his life as he was going along and to look uh, at this sort of possible second chance there. It's a fairly lovely film. I mean, uh, it's a film about ch it, it, literally what the uh, tagline says, we must cherish every moment. Uh, lovely, lovely right. film there. Uh, a couple more? Yeah, do a couple more. And then Thoroughly I'll hit, I'll hit love the this one, uh, uh, The Chambermaid. Uh, and I have to remember this uh, the, the next time I'm dabbling around on our list of movies over there. The Chambermaid was a lovely film by Lila Aviles, and it's about a chambermaid in a very exclusive high-end hotel in Mexico City. Uh, her and, 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 and some of her colleagues. But what's wonderful about this film not unlike Roma from last year, what we mostly do is hang out with this chambermaid in something uh, approaching real time as she wanders about this hotel taking care of these people who are kind of sometimes oblivious to her as a human being or who are sometimes you know, patronizing to her as yeah. a human being. But we get what we're doing is we're watching them from her perspective as opposed to watching her from their perspective. We get to see who these people are, the way they behave, uh, the things that they say and do. Uh, and it's an absolutely – the, 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 it's just a, a really, really wonderful movie uh, that we work outside of that space a little bit. But for the most part, that's what we're doing. So anyway, a wonderful little movie that I hope that folks will remember as we move into uh, award season. You, you want to take it, sir? Yeah. Got to do some cult movies here. This stuff is all completely bonkers. If you like cult movies, you're going to love all this stuff. I don't particularly love all this stuff, but cult movie people will love all this stuff. It's just all off the wall and completely insane. Uh, relatively recent is 2012's um, Undertaker by uh, Naoyoshi Kawamatsu. It is all of 65 minutes long, and that's already too long. Uh, look, it's a, it's a flesh-eating Japanese zombie movie, and uh, there's really not much more to it. It's kind of got a, a plot to it. This the guy who's the Undertaker. He kills the like you hire him to kill your family members who've turned into zombies. There's really nothing more to it. Uh, it kind of has, I think, some sort of uh, dystopian tones to it. But really, there's not much else to it. Uh, it's just it's it's a zombie movie. It's a Japanese zombie movie. Undertaker. It's gruesome and gory, and uh, you'll probably have a lot of fun if you like that sort of thing. Uh, that's from Synapse, and then also from Synapse is "Watch Me When I Kill," <laughs> uh, which which has the which has the. This is another one of my favorite taglines. It's a special edition. Uh, like, was there another edition? Watch <laughs> me when I kill. Uh, this is my favorite tagline ever. When I go berserk, you're better off dead. It's <laughs> <laughs> oh. completely nuts. This oh. is from 1977. Way too late for a movie like this. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just nuts. It's a it's about a, a a nightclub dancer who's being stalked by a serial killer. It's completely crazy. Uh, it's got you know an audio commentary on it, a bunch of trailers, and and you know three short films from the the director Antonio Bito, which are not worth watching. It's from 1977. It's just a riot. It's a hoot. <laughs> don't don't bother if you. 
you don't love movies like that. Uh, from Mondo Macabro, who also do a lot of great stuff, a Spanish horror film, The Killer of Dolls. Wow. Um, there it is, 1974, directed by Michael Scaife, which is probably a pseudonym for something else. Yeah. Uh, they all were, you know, so you just don't pay attention to a Spanish name. They make up an American-sounding name or an English-sounding name. Uh, this has extras on it as well. Uh, you know, the, the, the lead actor, David Roca, does an interview, and uh, uh, there's a, a couple of commentaries, one of them by Kat Ellinger, who's doing a ton of these these days. But uh, really, basically, this is about a guy who um, is thrown out of medical school because he just can't handle the blood. He, it, it, it just go, he, it's not So anyway, he goes back to a city in France where I used to live near Montpellier and um, you know, tries to figure out what to do with the rest of his life. And uh, that's where we find out uh, why it is that he can't. He has an issue with blood, yeah. and it has to do with his sister and dolls, and you know him doing operations on the dolls, and everything was, you know. Now, now it gets weird, and then it takes an even, now and then it goes completely off the rails and goes into a weirder area. It's okay. Um, Woman chasing the butterfly of death by Kim Ki Young. Uh, this is so bizarre. I don't even know where to go with this. Uh, this is a South Korean horror film, uh, exploitation film from 1978. Um, you know, see Parasite instead. Oh, it's yeah. more sophisticated, yeah. and it's it, it kind of uh, fires on all cylinders. But I guess you could possibly argue that uh, without Kim Ki-young laying the groundwork, you wouldn't have something like Parasite. But this is not a terribly well-done film. It's a little bit silly. And uh, the, the the gory aspect of it is, um, you know, not uh, not all that convincing. But nonetheless, I guess it, it has some some kind of transcendent meaning if you're a historian of Korean films. And uh, let's see, three here from Severin. I'll go through these really really quickly. Uh, Paganini Horror by Luigi Cozzi. This is a uh, Donald Pleasance shows up to bring a slight bit of credibility to an otherwise really, really uh, silly 1988 late giallo film that's not very Dario, Dario Argento. Uh, this was, uh, you know, Luigi Cozzi, who did this, did um, most famously a movie that I saw in the wake of Star Wars called Star Crash, which uh, was a terrible film at the time, but it, it was, you know, it was, it, it, I went and saw it in the theater. I remember it very well. Not a very good director, but, uh, you know, it's about an all-girl rock band and uh, something about, you know, a guy who sold his soul to the devil, and I don't, it, none of it makes very much sense, but it's, it's gory, and it tries to be scary, and at times, I guess, it maybe is. Um, this is a classic, and this one I've got to recommend because it's such an absolute hoot. From 1961, the epic black-and-white cult film Werewolf in a Girl's Dormitory. This thing has been slashed to ribbons so many times. This is the original uncut version, uh, all 85 minutes of it, and what an absolute hoot it is. Uh, they have a great interview with Ernesto Gastaldi, who wrote it, and a really great audio commentary with uh, Kurt Lowens, and uh, who's the actor in it, and uh, David Del Valle, which they recorded for Retro Media. Um, the alternate opening, not really worth paying attention to, but I'll tell you, it is an absolutely riotous film. It's not scary in any way whatsoever, but it's just freaking funny because it's about a, it's a werewolf in a girl's dormitory. How mm. do you not laugh at that? 
Uh, and then also from Severin is Byleth, the demon of incest. I will say it again, Byleth, the demon of incest. <laughs> Uh, so Mark Damon, who produced a lot of garbage and I think still does, produced this in 1972 or else acquired it. Uh, this is also an Italian film. And uh, it's uh, from 1972, absolutely ridiculously stupid, but it's funny. And uh, I, I think there's something you can say about that. Um, the, uh, you know, it's, it's got a lot of the giallo stuff at the time, but it just isn't very scary. It's just silly now in, in, in hindsight. Um, but, yeah, it's basically about a guy who's, who's obsessed with his own sister and, and, you know, wants to get it on. He's an evil counter, some such thing. And uh, then the last couple here are the 3D Nudie Cuties collection. Uh, we're going to be talking at some point in the future about our uh, reissue on Blu-ray of Schlock, The Secret mm. History of American Movies, which Ray has done, just finished remastering. We talk a lot about Nudie Cuties in it as one of the early stage subgenres of the exploitation movement. Um, the 3D Film Archive has gone ahead and restored a couple of uh, uh, early uh, features from the era, the uh, Nudie Cutie era, uh, plus some bonus shorts. The two films are The Bellboy and the Playgirls and uh, Adam and Six Eves. Presumably, although I would want to confirm this, but they are marketing it this way, but I, I would really want to confirm it. Presumably, the um, 3D footage in The Bellboy and the Playgirls was directed by a 22-year-old UCLA film school grad named Francis Coppola. So, uh, but we would obviously want to do a little more research to make sure. I do know that he worked in this genre, but uh, anyway, that would certainly be, uh, be interesting and, and historically noteworthy. Otherwise, they're basically nudie cuties. There's just titillation from the era, but archivally, it's it's of great value. And then lastly, this is a absolutely terrific. Scorpio Films gives us the Dutch Sex Wave collection. Um, Cult Epics has released this, and it is a uh, these films were a significant impact at the time. They have now put them all on one collection. We've talked about some of them on the show before. Frank and Ava, Blue Movie, Susan, Sandra, Olga, and Julie, and Obsessions. They are now all here in one complete set from the late 60s into the mid-70s. And uh, very, very influential, even if they, the filmmakers never went on to do much else. Uh, this is, uh, you know, there, there was a moment where these, these films in, uh, in the Netherlands had, had, some, they had some currency around the world. Yeah. So the Dutch Sex Wave Collection, four-disc Blu-ray set, collector's edition from Cult Epics with Frank and Ava Blue Movie, Susan, Sandra, Olga, and Julie, and Obsessions. Uh, knock off a few more over here. Yeah. Uh, an Israeli film, loosely, uh, this is a drama, but it's loosely based on, um, uh, on history. 1947, young, uh, young female actress in uh, northern Israel, this is before Israeli nationhood, of course, uh, is traveling the north, of uh, the north of Israel. She's going to be an actress. She goes to this kibbutz where she meets this young man, little young man, 24-year-old Eli Ben-Ziev. Uh, and she falls in love with him and be begins the process of, you know, sort of trying to seduce him and, and get him to fall in love with her. Problem is, he has a girlfriend, and he's a real kibbutznik, uh, this, 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 this guy. And she, you know, she's more of a contemporary type, but nevertheless. Um, uh, and it's all about how that relationship uh, builds, and they eventually fall in love and decide to get married right as Israel, 1947, obviously 1947 war, is about to, is about to happen. What's interesting about this is that it's loosely based on the true story 
of Israel's second prime minister's son, Eli Benziev, was Israel's second prime minister's son, uh, and uh, and how he fell in love with this with this girl from the city, uh, and what it meant to him and Israel and his family and all yeah. that kind of stuff. So you know, it's kind of a sweet sort of thing. An Israeli love story is the name of the movie. It's based a lot, on of, a true a lot story. of Israeli movies in the mix lately. Yeah, it's fascinating. Quite a lot. Yeah, um, actually, uh, uh, including this one, Harmonium. Um, which is a, a, a film uh, ab- about a harpist in the Jerusalem Philharmonic. She's married to the conductor of the orchestra, and they have a, they don't have any children, and their relationship is a little bit aloof. Um, uh, a, another performer comes into the orchestra, and these two women are have, have this sort of attraction to each other. Hagar is her name. In any case. Uh, Hagar finds out that the couple, that her friend and her husband would like to have a baby, she decides that I will surrogate a baby for you, and in fact does. Surrogates a baby for them, gives them the baby that she surrogates for them, and then leaves the orchestra and leaves the city, thus leaving them with the child that she uh, decided to have for them. Twelve years go by. And this little this child grows up to be quite a, a virtuoso pianist and a, a bit of a rebel, always fighting with his mother, at least a woman whom he believes to be his mother. Around that time, now 40-odd years old, uh, Sarah, who we first met, met at the beginning of this film, gets pregnant herself and has another baby. Uh, another three years goes by, and Hagar, the woman whom we first met at the beginning of the movie some 15 years ago now, returns to the orchestra. Now we have this young man who has no idea that the second woman is his mother, and we have this three-year-old with his brother, and they've had this whole relationship, and it's actually quite financing, uh, quite uh, interesting yeah. to see how all of this sort of plays its way out. Harmonia is the name of the film, an Israeli film. And, man, they make some interesting they stuff. They do. Well, it's, uh, a, uh, it's an interesting there. part of the world. Uh, uh, yeah, for yeah. sure, for sure, for sure. Uh, one more here? Yeah. Another I'll, Israeli I'll film. Another Israeli film from Strand Releasing. The other story. This one's more straightforward film. You have these two young women. Both of them are having the exact opposite crises in their life. One of them has been in a very sheltered uh, Hasidic family, and she would like to get out from the yoke of all of that. And the other one, uh, who's been living a fairly decadent life in the city, would like to organize her life and is, is going back into a religious uh, sort of uh, culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, she, they, they meet each other, uh, and they're sort of pushing and pulling against one another uh, in terms of what they want to do and it's really a fascinating story about how these young women uh, who've both experienced the exact opposite of each other's lives are now looking to experience each other's lives but it will probably tear them apart again just as they're coming together a lovely lovely movie the other story from strand releasing a couple more here real quickly uh intimacy by the late patrice chereau the wonderful director of uh the queen margot um this film won the uh golden bear at the uh Berlin Film Festival, and very deservedly, it's one of the one of the more powerful films that deals with you know sex and relationships and all of the things that can go wrong when people make uh, bad choices. This is from two thousand and one. It stars uh, Carrie Fox and Mark Rylance, uh, as well as Timothy Spall. But it is basically the it deals with the uh, relationship between Mark Rylance and Carrie Fox. Um, who are a couple that are just having these uh, these weekly hookups, and then how everything just turns into a, an emotional wasteland in the wake of that. Um, adapted from the novel by Hanif Qureshi, 
and uh, some of his other work. It is really, really an incredibly powerful film, beautifully made. And uh, Carrie Fox also very deservedly won Best Actress at that same Berlin Film Festival. And then lastly, Bunuel in the Labyrinth of the Turtles is an unusual animated film that I didn't particularly care for, to be honest. But um, the... It, it is the story. So Bunuel made a his after he made his first film, uh, L'Age d'Or, which was not successful. He decided to go out and um, and do something more um, more raw, more rugged. So he went to this remote area in Spain and um, decided to just sort of make a documentary about the way these people live, the the dying of their culture. And um, what's particularly interesting about this is that it, uh, it interweaves actual footage with the, um, uh, with the animation, actual footage from the film that he, that he made from it, which is, is the uh, a very legendary documentary known as uh, Las Hordas Tierra Sin Pan, um, the, uh, the soil, I forget, I don't know how exactly you would, you would, you would, uh, anyway, the, the, forget the translation, but Las Hordas is the film. And, uh, it was financed by a buddy of his who won the lottery mm-hmm. and used his lottery winnings to say, hey, Luis, let's, let's make a movie. And so Bunuel is not yet Bunuel here. Mm. He's still, you know, scraping by and they're living with these people and they're barely able to afford their film. And they decided to tell the story of the making of that film in animation. Mm. A little bit weird. Mm. So I'm not, I, I appreciate the making of dramatization. It's a little odd to see it in animation. What's it the is, nature of that animation? What does it look like? I mean, it, it, you know, it looks, it's kind of raw, but it looks like what's in Las Hordas. When you see Las Hordas, the faces of the people, you go, mm. oh, there's that guy. Like ah. they do. They do try to give it. It's it, it's it's European animation. It's a little bit. I mean, it's not not nearly on the level of Triplets of Belleville, mm. but it kind of leans into that a little bit. Mm. Um, stylized, but maybe. I mean, it's you know what? There's a. I guess there's a touch of Bunuel in the animation. Yeah. Mm. So anyway, Bunuel and the Labyrinth of the Turtles. Not necessarily my kind of thing, but a very interesting uh, concept for an animated film, nonetheless. <laughs> All right, that's it. Next week, our holiday show. Tune in. We're going to give you a good time and uh, have a ton of giveaways. A ton of giveaways. You have no idea. Some of the stuff that's been given us is fantastic. So it's really good. All right, everybody. Have a great week. We'll see you next week.